This message is brought to you by Alliance Bible Church located in Mequon, Wisconsin. Our vision is to captivate generations with the satisfying gospel of Jesus Christ. For more information about Alliance Bible Church or other resources, please check out our website, myabc.church. So in in preparing for for today, I have three kids of my own. I've got a one-year-old daughter, a seven-year-old boy, and a nine-year-old daughter. So I'm in, the, I'm in the trenches along with, with you guys. Some of you guys, uh, your kids are out of the house and you're taking a deep breath. Some of you are starting to have maybe grandkids. So there's different levels of, of fathering that uh, I think this will be very applicable to all stages of life. Um, but before we, we jump into the nuts and bolts of our passage in Matthew, I want to take you uh, to Genesis 2. This is on the eve of the fall. All right, and God has created the garden, and He's created Adam out of the dust of the ground. And in verse 15 of chapter 2, He says this, The Lord God took the man, and He put him in the garden of Eden to work it and keep it. God created Adam and put him in the garden to work it and keep it. This is before Eve was created, before there's kids. There was just Adam. We knew that Adam was created in the image of God. Remember God saying, let us make man in our image? And they did that. Here's Adam, and Adam has a job to do. He's got a job to do. He has to tend, he has to keep, he has to guard, and he has to watch. So right off the bat, we see that man was created for a purpose. A job. God had wired him to do something. God would never create us and then tell us to do something without equipping us with what is needed to do the job. He sent Adam out. This is, this is your world. Now we know that that wasn't good enough, right? Adam, this is not good enough for you to do this alone, therefore he created Eve But the mandate to tend, the mandate to guard and keep and watch was the same. And it's the same today for you and for me, even post-fall. So why does the world, why does our culture need fathers? Why should men marry and have kids? These are questions that men in culture are constantly wrestling with, isn't it? In a culture that is angry at masculinity... It has become more and more certain that America needs a dad. At the end of the day, you were made for this. You were made for it. We jump to Ephesians. And we see in the first three chapters of Ephesians, God lays out identity. Who you are in Christ. The first chapter is filled with your identity in Christ. Who you are, how God views you, you're chosen, predestined, you're adopted as sons. And because of all of that, therefore, in Ephesians 5.1, God tells us, be imitators of me in all things. So does that include fatherhood? Are we supposed to imitate God, the Father, in fathering? Yes, right? We are. 
And um, through my own study and, and, and reading, um, I can't find a better picture of gospel fathering than in Christ's baptism. I don't think you'll find one in all of Scripture. I don't think you'll find a better, uh, more thorough example of what this looks like. And so that's our text. That's where we're going to be. Matthew chapter 3, if you've got um, your, your Bibles with you, your phones, just flip there for me real quick. It's two verses. And it says this in verse 16 of chapter 3. And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. You see, fatherhood is the center of all things. It can be understood rightly or understood in a dysfunctional way. In the age of the absentee dad, how can we learn from this modeling during Christ's baptism? And I want to walk you through some key elements of this. We'll revisit this more practically at the end of our time. But when we look at this, when we look at this text, there are six things that stand out to me and how God related with His Son. Number one, the Father was there. The Father was there. God was there. He was present. This kicks off three years of earthly ministry for Jesus. God's there. He's, in, he's there. He's visibly present. Number two, the Father made His presence felt by sending His Spirit. So not only was God there, it was felt. Something happened. The Father made His presence known by saying something. Not only was He there, not only was it felt by the sending of the Spirit, but God actually spoke. Now keep in mind, we don't know how many people were there. John the Baptist was doing, uh, was doing baptisms for repentance. He was preaching the law, and people were repenting of their sins and being baptized. And we know that, obviously, John wasn't qualified to baptize Jesus, right? How dare I even touch his sandals? But here Christ comes, and, and John for years was preaching, there's going to be coming one who is much greater than I. And John felt the gravity of this. I can't, I can't baptize you, Jesus, the Messiah. And Jesus says, no, this is the way. This is, this is how it needs to go. And so it was. The Father was there. The Father made His presence felt. And the Father made His presence known by speaking. The Father identified with His Son, right? This is my Son. He's with me. I go with Him. He goes with me. Of all the things to say, He identifies with His Son. And then He has expressed His love towards His Son. This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. So you get the picture. In your mind, God's there. He's present. 
The heavens open up. The Spirit is, 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 is coming down like a dove, as a dove on Christ. He makes His presence known. He speaks, this is my Son. He identifies with His Son. And then he has, to, he has something to say about His Son to those people. I am well pleased. I be, this, this is my beloved. This is my kid, and I'm well pleased with Him, and I want everyone to know it. I want everybody to know it. It's a fabulous roadmap. We know that there's sin in the world. So we've got, we've got a perfect picture, if you will, of what a biblical father looks like. So, so what's the opposite? Or what's the anti-father? All right? There's a list of things. Now some of you guys might have grown up in a home where dad was present physically. But he never said anything. He was, he was maybe even at the dinner table, but he never made his present felt. He got home, he ate, maybe he went out, you knew he was there. You might have even known that, well, maybe dad loves me, but I've never heard him say it. There are indications of an anti-father, and they're these. Number one, an anti-father is absent, not present. And here's the reality. Once you have kids, you will always be a father. You can't stop being a father. There are guys that say, I don't want to be a father anymore. I'm going to leave my family. I'm going to go do my own thing. He thinks that he's stopping his fatherhood responsibilities. He's not. Because here's the deal. The dad that is present at the dinner table is as influential as the dad who is not. Make sense? The dad who is absent from the home has as much influence as the dad that is present. Okay? And I want to encourage you guys, in the culture we live in, that is whining about toxic masculinity, that is pounding on the doors of, of gender confusion, you watch commercials and sitcoms, who, is, who are the kids always making fun of? They're making fun of dad. Men and fathers are under attack, you guys. But I want to encourage you that in the beginning, when God created Adam, He created him to be able to do the job that He's asking you, image bearers, to do today in your fathering. And how you represent God as Father to those around you. And anti-fathers lie. They're lying about what fathering is. Because they're absent. They're not present. They're emotionally absent, not engaged. For 18 years with their kids, they play charades. What is dad like? Who is dad? We never hear from him. He never talks. He doesn't engage with me. That's an anti-father. All fathers are speaking all day about what fatherhood is. We can't take a day off. We can't take an hour off. It's how God made us. It's how God wired men in the culture that we live in. The anti-father remains silent, not willing to vocalize. Do you think God the Father had to say anything 
during the baptism of Jesus? Do you think Jesus knew that the Father loved him? Yeah. Do you think your kids feel or know that you love them because they are your kid? Yeah. Avery, if I invited you to go down to Moe's Steakhouse in downtown Milwaukee, it's an expensive steak, man. Right? And I ask you, hey, we're going to do dinner tonight. Avery, I'm going to buy you the best cut of meat they have there. Okay, that's the, that's the deal. It's on the table. <laughs> well, what if Avery tells me, I know what steak tastes like. I don't, I'm, I don't need to go. I already know. That's insane. It's crazy. You see, your words, by speaking to your kids, you feed them. They know that you love them, but they need to hear it over and over and over again. That's how you identify with them. My grandfather told me once, um, he came over from Poland, Eastern European guy, he said, you know, I told, my, I told grandma that I loved her on the day we married, and by giving her the ring, she should know that the rest of her life, and I don't need to tell her again. What's the problem with that? You know, your kids starve for that type of affirmation. They know within you, within the pantry of your soul, there's food. Lots of it. And we have to be willing to give it out to them specifically. So we need to speak. We need to declare can't just tell our kids we love them once and then remain silent. Um, I want you guys to picture your fatherhood as making deposits in your kids' lives. Every day, you have a choice to put money in the bank. And here's what I find in in a lot of of dads and in in fathering and in working with men is they only start making deposits when their kids are 15, 16, and they're getting into trouble. They They haven't built up the nest egg emotionally with their kids over 10, 15 years of time so that when they want to speak into their kids' lives, they've got money in the bank. Otherwise, you're just writing blank checks. And they're bouncing because you have no chips. You've got nothing. And I, I want to encourage you guys that if you have young kids, start now. Start now. Or if you've missed that opportunity and your kids are 30 or 40, go back and begin to till that soil a little bit. The relationship's changed, but it's not broken. You know, one of the most fabulous promises of gospel truth is the last one you'll find in the Old Testament. It's in the book of Malachi. At the end of the book, this is what's coming. This is what the gospel promises. It says this in Malachi 4, verse 6, and he will turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers. With the gospel, any of this is possible in we want to make our presence felt. We want to make these deposits. 
So I want to go back. I want to go back and walk through how do we practically do this. Given the vision that we have in this baptism interaction, all right, let me read this one more time so that you guys can can kind of walk through this with me. When Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened up to him. God was there. And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove. God made his presence known to his Son. And coming to rest on him, and behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. So, what do we do? We need to be there. We need to be present. So with your kids, ask them, what's important for me to be at? Soccer games? The ballet recital? The karate thing? You need, you need to be there. But that's, that's not all of it. You need to be there and you need to make your presence felt. So in high school, I played basketball and uh, We'd have games on Friday night. On Monday, we'd watch film. And all the time, it was super embarrassing for me, we'd be watching the film on the rolling TV with the VHS tape. And guess who you can hear yelling in the background? My dad. (laughs) Above all the noise. And everyone knew it was my dad. He was a loud dude. Still is. And at the time, it was super embarrassing. But But as I look at this, I think, man, that's how he made his presence felt. And it's okay to embarrass your kids. In fact, that is part of your mission. And if your kids tell you, I don't want that, that's fine. You keep giving it to them. Because there's plenty of kids that, you're, that you, your kids have friends, right? That would die for their dad to embarrass them once in that way. Just once. They starve for it. They need it. So we need to be there. We need to be present. We need to show up, right? We make our presence felt, present and engaged. Um, You know, when I go see my my son, he's in karate. It's not the most exciting thing in the world. You've got 50 kids in a room like this. It's loud, and they do a good job of controlling the kids. But the temptation for me is to come and they're doing their thing and to get on my phone and check my emails. I'm present, but I'm not engaged. So when I go up to Jake, when, I'm, when he's done, the natural reflection for me is to say, Jake, good job, I'm proud of you. And guess what he says back to me? For what? Why are you proud of me? Think about that. What is he asking? What is, what is, what is Jake asking as a seven-year-old? He, he's re- what he's really asking is, Dad, were you paying attention to what I was doing? And if so, in detail, why are you proud of me right now? And if, and if I don't pay attention, if I'm not watching, hey, that was a really good high kick you did, or that was great that you listened to your instructor that way. It doesn't mean much, quite honestly. And it's convicting for me as a dad. It's good for me to tell my kids that, but I need to be in detail. I need to be present with them that way. Because then they really get to know my heart, and it helps build them up as kids. So we need to make our presence felt. 
The Father made His presence known by speaking. He said something. It was direct, with thought, and it was purposeful. Um, Don't assume your kids know that you love them. Never assume. Speak it to them. Say something. Don't, don't take it on chance. Your kids should never, my kids should never be wondering, what does dad think about me? And that's hard when you have two, three, four, five kids, because they're all different, different personalities. So I need to be a student, not only of my, of my wife and the, and, the, and the people that I help pastor, but my own little kids. Because in this season of my life, their view of God is shaped by how I model. And I can either model fathering rightly, or I can be an anti-father. I don't have a choice of not being a father. I'm already one. And there's days where I fail miserably. And I have to go to my kids and repent. And say, I wasn't modeling the way I should have. Um... I'm not naive to, to think that you guys, some of you guys grew up with absentee dads in the most severe ways. I know that. That's the world we live in because of the fall. You're not your dad. And if you're in Christ, just as this gospel shows us, this, this promise in Malachi and going back to the garden, things can be made new. Things can be restored. And I think Brian said it in his last breakout, we need to think long term. If you guys grew up in a broken home, all right, with an with a anti-father or a father that lied about what actual fatherhood looked like, that can be restored. You can change your family line for the next hundred years. It's a lot of impact by the grace of God and the power of the Spirit in your lives. So we need to We need to speak, we need to be present, we need to make that presence known, and we need to identify with our kids. How do we do that? We can embarrass them sometimes. Sometimes we can, in the checkout line at Walmart, when you're sitting there and you get to the counter and the cashier takes your money, you can put your arm around your kid and say, hey, this is my son Jake, he's great. It'll embarrass them. It'll completely embarrass your 13-year-old daughter. Keep doing it. Show them that you identify with them in all sectors of life. And that takes intentionality, right? That takes you going out of way, putting, putting yourself a little bit in a, outside of a comfort zone and saying, I'm willing to take that risk because I want to continue to solidify my son or my daughter's view of God as father. Especially with daughters, if you have them, Man, this is crucial. It's huge. But it's a blessing. And a lot of guys, they doubt that they can do it. Let me tell you, you were made for it. All of you guys were made for it. And we desperately need it in the world we live in. Never be ashamed for how God has made you as a man. Never apologize for it. Never retreat from it. You were made for this. So make your presence felt. Make it felt. Make it be detailed. The Father expressed His love. Figure out your kids, you guys. 
how they tick, how they accept love. Shower, be gracious with them. Now, sometimes you're going to think, well, my son's not Jesus. It was easy for the father to relate this way to the son because he was perfect, (laughs) right? Well, you're not the father either. (laughs) It's true. Our kids are messed up. They're born sinful. We're born sinful. Um, one One of the ways that my son tried to identify with me when he was three, I was in the driveway and, uh, I was carving a pumpkin. We had a neighborhood thing we were doing, and I'm halfway through this thing, and I look up, and Jake's in the garage. He's got a screwdriver, a Phillips head, on the edge of my CRV, Honda CRV, and he's he's doing this on the side of the door. He's three. I'm in the driveway, and I look up, and it's like one of those things where you feel like you're dreaming. You're not really seeing what you're seeing, but it's happening in real time. And it's like, oh, man, Jake, what do you stop? And in that moment, I thought, you know what? I can really yell at him. It's already happened. The car's, it's got all, it looks like a raccoon tried to get in there and eat a bin of chocolate chip cookies. It's just scratched all over. And in his way, he was trying to identify with me as his dad. And it was really humbling for me and convicting as a dad to sit there and be like, you know what? It's just a car. I'm proud of you, Jake. I love you. We'll fix this. Don't worry. Um, You guys carry, as dads, more influence than what you actually think. You do. And if you've been hurt by your dad or he has not provided you a biblical picture of fatherhood, it doesn't mean that you can't through the power of the Spirit in your life. That's the beauty of the gospel. Dead things are made alive. And in your fathering, it can be that. So you make those deposits. Um, and any time you can find pleasure with your kids. You know, God tells us that kids are a gift, right? They're a gift from the Lord. They're given to you, not as a burden. Um, there's days when I get home from work and I'm tired and I'm frustrated And uh, my kids aren't necessarily wondering how my day went. They just want me. They want my time. They want my heart. They want my energy. And there's days where I don't feel like I have any. But through the power of the Lord, right, in our lives, we can provide that for our kids. And we die to ourselves every day. Because we're, we're imitators, right? If God can send His own Son on our behalf, I can walk that own road of Calvary in my life. I can pick up my cross and I can die for my kids and for my wife. And, and there's going to be days where you, you do that poorly and you live out of the flesh. You're not abiding in the Spirit. But you guys were made for it, all of you. And you guys are all at different seasons of life. If you're a, grand, if you're a, if you're a grandpa, this applies to you too. You can apply these same principles to your grandkids. You want to talk about leaving a legacy It's not about money. It's not about position. It's not about what you can give them. Give them your heart. Show them your heart. That's what they want. That's what they're starving for. And you guys all have seen kids that didn't grow up with that. Okay? They weren't fed that way. They're going to find it in something else. They're going to find it in something else. And so, guys, we as dads... hmm. 
We can be present. We can be emotionally engaged. We can speak audibly to our kids. We can identify with our sons and with our daughters. And I just want to encourage you guys with with that today. These few little verses, this, this interaction between God opening up the heavens and identifying with His Son is there for a reason. It's not random. It's a roadmap that shows us how to identify with our kids consistently. And if you think about it, Christ, the next three years, would walk a very challenging journey. Your kids are going into a world that is tough. It is. Man, to know that their dad loves them, identifies with them, speaks to them, engages with them, is present when he's physically around with them, that's a game changer for kids. Uh, And it's something that I wrestle with in my own life every single day as a dad. Um, Well, I I wanted to leave some time. I know we're running short here, but um, you guys have any questions at all? Anything that you, you need clarity on? You want to wrestle with? I will say this, um, with, with parenting, and it's good advice I got a long time ago, we want to tra- try to create gardens instead of prisons in our home. Think about Adam in the garden. God only gave him one rule. He gave him a job. He gave him a job description, but he said, don't, just don't do this. Everything else is yours. So in our home, there are three rules. No disrespecting mom, no lying, and uh, no disobedience. That's it. And sometimes I see parents over, over-parent in the sense where they have 50 rules in their house, and they cannot, as parents, enforce them because there's just too many. So your kids then feel disconnected, they feel confused, and it gets in the way of you actually getting to know your kids because you're spending all your time managing the rules you've put in place. Can't touch this, can't go there, don't do that. Don't, don't, you know, all of these things, keep it simple and be intentional. And I, I think you'll see good fruit in that over time. Um, so that's my encouragement uh, to you guys today to look at this text in new light. Look at it as an actual diagram for fathering uh, and, and fathering well. So, yes, thank you guys. Any questions at all before we wrap up? Um, the three rules we have uh, are no, no disrespecting mom, uh, no lying, and no disobedience. We feel like those three rules, uh, you know, they really, it's more than three, as you know, but, but it's the three main ones. And they're manageable for me as a dad and for my wife. So we don't have to remember every, all the rules we have. Those three, I can, I can manage that. And it, and it provides a garden atmosphere where my kids, the goal is, okay, the goal of all of this is not that they conform to the standard. The goal is that they learn to love the standard. So that when they're 15, 16, 17, I can begin to hand off responsibility and trust. And at that age, I'm not pouring on more rules. Because that's, 
That's where, that's where a lot of dads get into trouble, is they want to tighten the clamps the older the kids get. That's a tough battle. So we want to cultivate this early, two, three, four, five, all the way up, and, and just trust that God's tilling the soil. Um, our kids, your grandkids, they're not yours. They're God's. Uh, he's blessed us with them, and we just do our best to be faithful with them. Yes, Absolutely. Yeah, um, well, like I said, um, once you're a father, you're always a father. Now those roles change as, as your kids get older and take on responsibility and move out of the house. But that doesn't mean you stop speaking. That, that doesn't mean you stop being present when you're with them. These, these things apply through all of life with your kids. I believe that. Um, now, you're not there um, ushering rules. You're not putting up boundaries. They're adults, and they're going to make their own choices. But you're still, you're still told to model who God the Father is in your life. I don't think that ever ends. I think it looks different in different seasons, but I don't think it ever ends. And that's where, especially you guys in, the, in their later stages where they have grandkids or even great-grandkids, they can still model this. They're not done. You guys aren't done. You want to finish this well and finish this strong and leave that legacy for your family. Um, I think it's a great question. Absolutely. I guess the thing that I'm struggling with, uh, I'm a new grandfather. And just, you know, society says, well, just kind of let your kid, my daughter, raise. Yes. So you might not be able to control the fences that they put up for their kids. You might not agree with, yeah, yeah, yeah. You might not agree with the tactics they use in their parenting, but that doesn't mean you can still still be the outside presence of what a what a godly father looks like. So you speak. A lot of it for you is modeling and speaking. Into what's what's your little grandson's name? Parker, yeah, yeah, yeah. So you speak into his life. And you're not in a position where you can demand things from his parents that way. But you can still, you can still communicate what God the Father is like in that relationship. See, the problem is that my son-in-law is an atheist. Mm-hmm. And he runs a household. Yep. So anytime, and, and I don't think you need to apologize for this, uh, when he gets to the age, when Parker gets to the age where he recognizes, obviously, you as his grandfather, you can speak into his life. You can tell him, hey, I love you. And that culture kind of uh, sometimes says, don't, you know, you have no role in speaking this. Well, yeah, that's an, anti, that's an anti-father that's agenda, right. absolutely. But we want to counter that. I think men need to be more vocal. Because what culture asks of men is that they keep their mouth shut. What, that's the world we live in right now. We need more men to speak. And how we speak, uh, it, carries, it carries impact. So you, you trust that God will use your speaking 
into your grandson's life 10, 15, 20 years down the line. You're thinking long play here. Don't think six months, a year. Think 15. Toil, plod, spend that time and energy. Um, write letters, send text messages when he gets older. You can speak into his life in creative ways that his parents might not be willing to do. Absolutely. All right. Well, thank you guys for having me. Um, have a great rest of your day. Enjoy being dads and grandfathers. It's awesome. It's a blessing. <laughs>